0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Last week we uh, studied in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, um, and one of the main points that St. Paul was making was that um, he had received the mysteries of God to himself, um, and he was um, sharing those mysteries and enlightening all of the church um, with the truth that uh, that he received. And we spoke about how um, as the church of the fathers that the Lord Um, he enlightens and illuminates, um, the fathers, which is why there's so much emphasis in our church of reading the early church fathers and understanding how they interpreted the scripture, um, so that we can also have the right understanding, um, of scripture. So we will continue, um, today in chapter four, um, of the book of Ephesians. So he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Um, so, this introduction actually is what we pray in the first hour of the Akbaya, the, um, the, 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 the beginning part um, that we pray in the first hour. This uh, comes directly for he from here. And again, St. Paul is emphasizing that he is a prisoner, right? Why is he calling himself a prisoner? Because he was in prison when he was writing this. Where was he in prison? In Rome? And how do we remember which are the prison epistles that he wrote from prison? PH, right? So what are the PH ones? Philippians, Philippians. Philemon. Philemon, Ephesians, and then what's the one that's not the PH? Colossians, good, okay? So those are the prison epistles. He is, again, as he has at the beginning of the epistle, he is referring to himself as the prisoner of the Lord. And it's uh, it's very nice how he refers to himself as prisoner of the Lord, not the prisoner of the Romans, because when you when you when you, if you were to call himself the prisoner of the Romans, what does that mean? It means that he sees himself as being oppressed, as being a victim, as being conquered by the Romans who have put him in prison, and the one who truly is the the powerful, you know, kingdom is the kingdom of the Romans. But when he says he is the prisoner of the Lord, he's what he's communicating is his faith that I am here because God has permitted it. I'm here because this is the will of God that I should be here, that actually this is for the benefit of the ministry, because of course we know that St. Paul, as an apostle, his whole life was oriented around the ministry, about around his apostleship. We don't ever see St. Paul doing anything other than serving God. We don't see him taking vacations. We don't see him doing anything. right? So his whole purpose of living at this point in his life is to be an apostle of Christ and to go and to preach and evangelize. So someone in his position could very easily ask the question, God, why are you allowing me to be here in the prison and to prevent me from serving the people, from establishing churches, from visiting the churches, right? It would be so much more so much better and so much more efficient, so much more beneficial for everyone if I could be free and I could go around and continue to do what it is that I that I've been doing. But by saying I am the prisoner of the Lord, you see this kind of submission and acceptance of my, my place. I'm, I, I accept that the Lord wants me to be in this place at this time. And maybe if you asked St. Paul in that moment, what is the benefit of being in prison? Maybe he wouldn't really have a good answer. I mean, he, 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 it would be much easier for him to find an answer of why it would be good to be free from prison. You know, he could list all the things he could be doing while being free. Whereas now, I mean, he's limited. He saw there were some visitors that would come to him. Um, Of course, we know that he wrote epistles, but he wrote epistles even when he was free. Uh, So what is it? You know, he sees himself. This is the will of God for me in my place, in my life, in this moment. This is the will of God. And this is the recipe for having peace in your life, because if we accept from God, Whatever situation that we happen to be in, it doesn't mean that we don't try to correct the situation or change the situation, but I accept that in this moment, this is my situation. And then I will have peace. That I am not oppressed, that I am not conquered, that I am not a victim, that I am not destroyed, that I am not whatever. No, God is allowing this. He's not focusing on the Romans who put him in prison. He is focusing on the will of God that allowed me to be here in this moment. So I am not a prisoner of the Romans. I am a prisoner according to the will of God. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Also, what we see in the life of St. Paul here, and maybe one of the benefits of him being in such a place, is St. Paul was not just like an erudite scholar, academic thinker, philosopher, preacher. No, he was a man who lived everything that he preached. And so when you read, for instance, one of the prison epistles, the Philippians, and you you see how he speaks about having joy, you know? About having all kinds of joy in the midst of persecution and suffering, you know, counted all joy. So, so we see it played out in his life. Like it's one thing for someone to write some theoretical treatise about how we should live and the faith and all this stuff, which okay, yeah, I mean on paper, it sounds nice. But what gives it life to those words is the life of St. Paul, that he truly lived according to what he wrote and -hmm. what he believed. And so he was an example of the faith that this faith is a real faith. It's a practical faith. It's a faith that we can live as believers. And you don't have to be a saint and you don't have to be St. Paul in order to live such a life because his God is the same God that we have and 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 and. This is actually, you know, a very powerful message that we see. Again, he is not just a person who stands and speaks. He's a person who lives according to um, what he preaches. Also, we see that the fact that he is in chains uh, is actually something that attracts and draws people to the faith. Why is that? Because if I, as a preacher, am I'm, I'm doing it for some personal gain, some personal benefit maybe nowadays you know anyone who's in a position of authority or power we're skeptical of them why are you doing this are you doing this because you're being enriched because you're somehow making money or you're enjoying the power that you have or you're something right um and the moment that they would reach a point where they have to choose prison uh, allow myself to be in prison or you can deny the faith and you don't have to be in prison You know, we see this in the life of all the martyrs in the church. You can say that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be killed or you can deny your faith and you can live a nice life. We read in the Synexarian many stories of the saints where even like the the, the pagan authorities, like the Roman authorities, would offer money to these Christians and say, oh, if you deny Christ, we will give you this and this and this and this, you know, but just deny Christ. And we see that in their lives they refuse this. And they allow themselves to be martyred for the sake of the faith and did not deny. This in itself also is a greater witness than a thousand sermons, right? Because, again, it's easy to say theoretically, right? But when someone chooses martyrdom, it says that, no, I really believe this. This is truly my faith, not because I gain anything from it, not because there's any personal benefit that I get from having such a position You know, St. Paul is an apostle to receive praise and glory. He didn't receive any praise and glory in his life. He received suffering um, for for what he chose, how he chose to live. This is what St. John Chrysostom says. He says, what a great honor. It is more honorable than the honor of the kings or the ambassadors. It is more honorable for him to be a prisoner for Christ than to be an apostle or teacher or preacher. The one who loves Christ understands what I am saying. Whoever is devoted to Christ and is inflamed by the love of Christ knows the power of these chains. He prefers to be a prisoner for his sake than to have the heavens as his dwelling place. His hands were more glorious than if they were decorated with golden ornaments or a royal crown. Right? So this again, we we, we spoke about this subject many times of the subject of discipleship, that to be a disciple of Christ is not choosing a life of grandeur and glory. It is choosing to carry the cross, the cross that Christ carried. And in the case of St. Paul, this was the cross here um, that that he is carrying. So he is a prisoner of the Lord. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So this is what he is calling them, what he's saying you are called for. He's saying, um, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he's telling the Ephesians, this is how you were called. You are called with lowliness, with gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So, of course, this calling is not something unique to the Ephesians, but this is a calling to all of the children of God, that we are all called to this kind of life, and that this is the life that we are transformed into through the grace of the Holy Spirit working in us, that maybe at the moment of our calling, when we are called to, we are nothing like this. We don't have lowliness or gentleness or long-suffering. We don't bear one another with love. We we, we don't have unity, but division. Maybe the status that we were, and certainly the status that th- all of the Gentiles were at the moment when St. Paul would come to them, they were in a state of separation from God. They did not have the qualities of God in them because they lived uh, pagan. They, they They lived with a completely different standard of morality they they did not have the holy spirit living in them they did not have this transformative power of grace in them so he is calling them he's saying now that you have accepted christ now that you have been baptized with the baptism you know and you receive the holy spirit and you partake of the sacraments and and you are living this life in the church this is what you have accepted this 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 calling this this life that that you now should live according to is what you have received, what you have been given the power to become, and what you should be committed to live, right? So everything, all these things are, on the one hand, that the grace of God works in us to produce, but on the other hand, we are called to struggle to attain. It's both working at the same time. We are called to struggle to live this life, but it is not our struggle alone that will allow us to actually achieve this, right? It is the struggle plus the grace of God working. So what are the things here that he's mentioning? What is the calling that we should live according to? The first one, he says, is lowliness, right? Completely opposite to what you would imagine a worldly virtue to be. In, in the world, nobody wants to be lowly. Everybody wants to be the highest, the highest ranking, the most prominent, the one with the greatest authority, the greatest power, the most fame, the most wealth. The opposite of lowly. Right. The opposite of lowly, like having humility, not expecting or demanding anything, not pushing our own will, but yielding to others, surrendering to the will of God over our own. Again, St. Paul, he's saying, i allowing, you know, he's not he's not he's not angry with the, his Roman captors. He's not fighting against them. He is submitted and in, su- in submission to what is happening to him. Right. This is not the same as weakness. You know, meekness and weakness, they they sound the sa- similar, but they're not the same. To be meek is to be this, is to be lowly, is to accept things that are we cannot control. But St. Paul was very powerful, right? He was very powerful. He was not weak in any sense, you know? Like the church fathers speak about that the person who is powerful is the person who can control their own will. If you want to see the manifestation of weakness in us, this is when we say, okay, um, I choose to be gentle with the people who make me angry. I choose to treat them gently. And then we find in ourselves this anger burning inside of us and that without even, uh, like, like like, unable to control ourselves, we lose our temper. So what is that? Is that power? No, that's weakness. Right, that's, a, that's, that's, that's me not being able to control myself. That's weakness, right? Meekness is, I choose to be gentle. I choose not to raise my voice. I choose to deal with someone who failed with patience and love and kindness as opposed to lashing out at them. The person who lashes out, lashes out because they are not in control of themselves. So that is weakness, whereas the person who is meek is the person who chooses and can control their own will, control their tongue, control their words and their thoughts, and to choose how to behave in all of these different situations while remaining in full control. I'm in control, I decide what I say, not some strong emotional urge inside of me that enslaves me, that tells me you must yell in this moment, right? So, so, so lowliness and meekness is, is not the same as weakness. Then he s- says gentleness, right? Treating everyone with gentleness, which is something that is born out of that meekness and lowliness, right? Um, not being aggressive, not being quick to anger, right? St. Paul dealt gently, right? But he also knew when to speak boldly, right? He could, he could speak very gently with people, but he at the same time he knew when to be firm, to stand up against injustice, against lies, against blasphemy, where he would speak very strongly, but he also knew how to be gentle. Again, it's a choice. People who are gentle are gentle by choice, and if they feel there is an appropriate time to be more forceful, again, it is a choice. I choose when to be forceful. I choose when to be gentle. But those people who are just kind of enraged, they are not making a choice. It is made for them. They are compelled against their will to be angry. They are compelled against their will to lose their temper. And that's a very important distinction. And this distinction is also very important when raising children. Because if we find ourselves when we are raising our children that we are compelled when we lose our temper and become angry, this is um, a—our anger and our punishments toward our children will tend to be— overreactions. We will overreact to things. Yeah, maybe something happened that bothered me and so I want to address it. But because I'm not in control of my emotions and myself, I tend to overreact and maybe, you know, deal with it in an unwise way. Whereas the person who has gentleness and is in control of themselves, yes, I will still give consequence. Yes, I will still discipline. Yes, I will still confront the wrong but I will do so in a balanced way. I will do so with wisdom. I will do so like, like not n- like while I retain control of myself, not while I'm out of control. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is patience. Um, the word long-suffering is more accurate, I think, than the word patience. Because what is patience? It is to suffer long. Okay, we are patient, like, what's hard about being patient? We are, we, it's hard to be patient because in that time period, we are suffering in some way. Like, we are suffering because I have not yet, you know, received the thing that I want. We are suffering because some situation around me is, is contrary to what I would like, and I'm having to endure it, and I can't change it. That is suffering. All of that, that's suffering. And, 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 and to be patient means you have to endure that, not for five minutes. You have to endure that for quite some time, however that might be. Days, months, years, however long. Patience, a long suffering. Okay, Being able to wait for my desires to come to pass. Not demanding that things must happen according to my timetable. Again, this is St. Paul exemplified here. He says, God, you want me to be in the, pr- in the prison? Okay, I'm in prison. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Whenever God allows me to depart, I will depart. And I'm content in where I am. Patience is... Is not like the person who is pacing back and forth, just unable to live their life because they are waiting for something to change or something to happen. The patient person is the person who is able to accept, says, This is where I am in this moment. Let me make the best of it. Let me try to find the goodness in it. Let me see how I can, um, you know, like continue to grow closer in my relationship with God while I'm in this season of my life, not just obsessed with this season of my life ending. There's a reason to be here. You know, Job, when when God allowed him to suffer, there was a reason for his suffering. There was a period of time that was known by God that God allowed him to suffer, and when that time ended, his suffering also ended, right? There was something for him to be gained in that period. And so sometimes when we are in these periods of suffering, all we, be, all we can think about is, when is it going to end? Let me try to make it end as fast as I can. I can't wait for this to end. And our obsession is with the ending of the suffering rather than what is God wanting me to learn from this period of my life. Remember, God is the one in control of it. We think that somehow we are in control or other people are in control or something around us is the, is the reason. Oh, God allows this. God allows me to be here. I am here. When he allows it to change, it will change. Let me try to see what, what is it that I can benefit from the situation that I'm in um, and and be patient. Bearing with one another in love, right? If, if I, you know, when, when, you, when you think about the body of Christ, the church is the body of Christ. When I uh, break an arm, right, if I break, break my arm, what do we do? What do you do when you break an arm? You go to the hospital and get a, get a cast? Okay repair it because your arm is important what do you not do you don't cut off the arm you don't say this arm is just causing me too much pain it's not i'm not i'm not able to use it like i did it's slowing me down i'm just going to cut it off and that's it right and the reason we don't cut it off is because we love our arm we love the body our the members of our body are important to us you know, when any part of our body is hurt, our whole body is hurting, right? And we, we put so much extra attention to that part of the body because it is in pain and it is hurting and it is slowing us down and it is, it is damaged in some way. And so we try to nurture it. We give it extra, extra, extra attention to, to nurse it to health so that the whole body is healthy. And even the smallest part of your body, something that you would imagine like is so insignificant if it's hurting you, You could go through the entire day just constantly feeling that pain all the time, right? And you want to fix that pain. But when it comes to people whom, again, we are all the body of Christ. We are all the body of Christ. So uh, when it comes to certain people in the body that maybe rub us the wrong way, maybe are annoying to us in some way, maybe are bothering us in some way, right? Oh, that camera is, like, pointing straight down. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. right? It's bothering us somehow, right? What, what do we do? How easy is it when maybe we're dealing with like a difficult person, just I really wish this person would just disappear. I don't want this person in my life anymore. This person, I'm so struggling with this person and they're never going to learn. I just want to cut them off that they they're, they're don't come anymore. And every time we see this person, we roll our eyes even if it's in, internally and we just like take a deep breath because it's difficult, right? To deal with them bearing with one another in love, an act of love, even toward those people who annoy me, even toward those people whom I think like, okay, like their weaknesses are a burden to me, right? Of course, there's. we need to protect ourselves from harm. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be harmed. But that's not the same thing as cutting a person off, right? That's not the same thing as saying, um, I really don't care at all for this person and I wish that they would disappear, right? And again, all these things that he's listing are things that are only possible through the Holy Spirit working in us, through the grace of God working in This is not like a a normal thing that we can do easily. These things are very hard that we're talking about, right? But he's he's telling them, this is what you've been called for. You as a community of believers have to remain close to one another, support and encouraging one another, showing love, bearing with one another. Don't be so quick to cut off people just because they're annoying you. Um, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit um, in the bond of peace, right? Our common baptism in the faith is what unites us together in the Holy Spirit with each other and with God. So we as the children of God are also brothers and sisters collectively with one another. And so we must do everything we can to continue promoting this unity um in us instead of quickly devolving to divisions saint paul spoke about this for instance to the corinthians um they were having all kinds of divisions in their church and people were taking each other to court right and he said he said to them now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another why do you not rather accept wrong why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated by saying this, he's not saying that, oh, we should just not care about justice. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, before you go to the authorities, like the secular authorities, to try to resolve a conflict, remember that you guys are in the body of Christ. Come to the church. Have, have uh, like, like, compromise. Like, sp- communicate with each other. Show love and deference to one another. Be gentle with one another. F- try to find a solution, like, that allows you to live in harmony. Because in the end... The unity that we have with one another, if it is broken, then the body becomes fractured, right? We are not all just individuals in the faith. So one thing is like in the West, because in the West, it tends, the society tends to be a lot more kind of like isolated, as opposed to in the East, where everything is more like collective. Uh, you know, you do everything as a family. It's very normal. To w- whereas in the in the West, it's more like everybody's on their own kind of thing. And so that's why in the West... There's also a tendency for when it comes to the church and spirituality is everybody has this mindset of my spirituality is my own. I pray to God on my own, I read the Bible on my own, I do everything on my own. And of course, yes, we are called individually to have a spiritual life on our own definitely, for sure. But there's also the body of Christ, which is all of us together as one, right? You know, the, the there's a beautiful contemplation that the reason why we all go to the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, we believe that when when somebody dies now, we go to paradise. And then at the second coming, this is when the Lord speaks about the new heaven. We all go into the kingdom of heaven together as one. There's this beautiful icon that I saw that showed, like, this bride that was going into her bridegroom, where the bride was composed of all the little human beings that were, you know, like the... The people, all of us, as the body of Christ, we make up the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ, which is going into the bridegroom and meeting him. We all do it at one time, in one one moment, right? Because we are united together in this bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, right? So he's saying the faith of the church is one. He's saying there's one faith, right? The fact that nowadays we have people believing all kinds of things, that's not what the intention was from the beginning. Because the truth is one. The truth revealed by Christ to us is one. The church that was established is one. You know, we didn't have different denominations of in the church until you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the coming of, after after the time of Christ, after the New Testament, right? There was one faith because there is one Lord. Our faith is based on one, is based on God, right? We believe about God what is true. He is the a certain way, and He reveals to us His truth, so we believe that truth. We have one faith, and in having that one faith we are then baptized with the one baptism we are baptized based on the faith that we proclaim in the one god right so there's not room for all kinds of differences you know yes people might have different opinions about certain things but what is it that god has revealed right we go back to what god has revealed and say my faith is based on the revelation of god to the church One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Right? So, though we are united as one, but we are not monolithic. Because, just as in the example of the body, the body has different parts, not all of them are identical. Otherwise, we'd just be like a big cube, right? St. Paul says to the Corinthians, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. We see many examples of scripture that speaks about this. Again, St. Paul to the Corinthians says there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. So the same spirit behind the gifts, but there are many, many different gifts. Different people have different talents, different things that they're good at, right? that God wants us all to use. In the parable of the talents, the three servants, in that parable, they all got a different number of talents. They have different capacities for talent. And that's good. That's fine. Not everyone can be the same. And St. Paul says, "Well, what if everybody wanted to be an eye? You know, where would be the hearing? And if everybody would be the ear, where would be the seeing?" Right? If everybody, if we covet the gifts of others and want to be like them, well then that would remove the diversity and the variation of the gifts that are in the body of Christ, right? So, so it is good that we are different, but being different, united in Christ, not just being different for the sake of difference, right? Being different for the sake of difference is like chaos and anarchy, that we just wanna maximize differences. No, we're not trying to maximize differences. We are trying to say we are united in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has granted us diversities of gifts to be used while united for the united goal. The unified goal, which is the salvation, which is the edification of people. This is the goal. So while we work toward that one goal, with the one mindset, through the one Spirit, but we do so in different ways. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is describing what happened on Good Friday after the crucifixion of Christ where he descended into Hades to free all of the righteous people who are living in Hades under the bondage of Satan all throughout the Old Testament, and then ascended up into paradise to redeem and to open the doors of paradise to bring everybody in. So this is, he says he led captivity captive, meaning he destroyed the yoke of bondage that kept us is in sin and condemnation. This is the destruction of death. He is destroying the, the, you know, the in the doxology that we say during the Feast of the Resurrection, we say he broke the bars of iron, right? The bars of iron are what? The iron bars of the prison that is in Hades that everyone was trapped in. He descended into Hades. He broke the bars of iron, and he opened the doors so that everyone can leave, that all those righteous people can be set free, right, and go Uh, up to the paradise okay so he is the one who descended and then he is also the one who ascended and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he's saying, in this uh, process of the ascension and then sending the gift, the gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? This is why after the ascension, 10 days later is what feast that we celebrate, the Pentecost, which is the coming down of the Holy Spirit. And this is where the Lord said to the apostles, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, Then they went out and began to work and preach and establish the church. Because if they had gone out prior to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, they would have failed. right? But we see, amazingly, the work of the apostles from the very beginning of after receiving the Holy Spirit, the church just spreads like crazy so fast because the Holy Spirit is working in them. So he's saying, in this Holy Spirit that was sent after the ascension of Christ— these were the gifts. There's a there's a more complete list of these gifts in um, First Corinthians. But saying to some has been given the apostleship. To some have been given prophecy. Some have been given evangelism. Some have been pastors and teachers. And you know elsewhere he speaks about evangel- uh, administration and encouragements and all kinds of other stuff. So the idea is is that all of the gifts that God has given to each of us as for what the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The equipping of the saints. So God is showing us individually each love by giving us gifts. Just like when you love someone, you give them a gift. But this gift that he's giving me is for what? For the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Meaning that these gifts are not intended for me to keep to myself. This is why if I receive a gift and there is something that I can offer to the church... And I choose not to offer it. I choose not to give it. Well then, why is it that God even gave it to me? He didn't give it to me just so that I can benefit of it alone. Again, going back to the idea that we are a body, we are a community, we are a communion with each other and with God. So He gave me a gift so that I can offer that gift. right? I can offer that gift to the church. right? And so all of this is not just um, for me um, alone. St. John Chrysostom, he says, Since we all have one faith, we ought to work to achieve the goal of edifying others. We cannot stop working even if others envy us. God has honored you to edify others. St. Paul was occupied with this goal. Also, the prophet was prophesying, the evangelist was preaching, and the teacher was teaching to achieve that goal. All had one common work, since we all have one faith, Then there is unity and the perfect man is achieved. Right? Again, the perfect man is, this is the body, right? Christ is the head and we are the body, right? And this is the perfect man, the the body of Christ. Um, Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. This is the goal of all of this edification. You know, what are we edifying ourselves to attain? we're edifying ourselves to attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. I want to say just briefly one thing about what does it mean to have knowledge of the Son of God? Okay? What does it mean to have knowledge of the Son of God? In the world, when we speak about having knowledge of something, typically what we mean is having information about something. Right? Like, like, like when we speak about the truth in all kinds of various avenues of life, like when in the courtroom, and you say, what is the truth like regarding a certain legal case? Well, it's the information about the case. Who did what and when and where and why and all this information. Uh, a journalist, when a journalist deals with truth, what are they talking about? Talking about the information about an event that happened so that it could be reported on, for instance. That is the truth. In the church, when we speak about truth and knowledge, we are not speaking about information. It is not information. And this is an important distinction because some people in the church consider that the truth is information. Right? Let me read a bunch of books and I have a lot of information and now I have the truth. Right? But no, actually, what is it that Christ said is the truth? Yeah. Himself himself. He is the truth. Not the knowledge about him, but him, him itself, right? Which means that in the church, to have the truth is to have a relationship with the truth, not to have information of the truth. And there is a big difference between those two things. To have information of the truth is just, I will read a lot of books and understand theology and maybe even be able to teach it very well and give all kinds of sermons about it, but that is the extent of mine knowledge of the truth is the information about God. but to truly have truth in the church is not to have a bunch of information, but it's to have a relationship with the truth. And there are some people who have a very strong relationship with the truth, even though their 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 information is not that much. because if you consider for for many of us If those people who have been in the church for years and understand what we believe, even if we never learned anything beyond what we already know, we could reach sainthood. We could be saints. If we lived fully to what we know, we don't need to read more books. We don't need to have more knowledge than we we have. What's lacking is not the knowledge. What's lacking is the application. What's lacking is the relationship with Christ, with with placing our faith completely in him so when we read and when we gain information that is not a goal in and of itself that is a stepping stone so that we can draw closer to christ so that we can increase our relationship improve our relationship deepen our relationship with christ so a person who's who who believes that in the church the goal is to increase in knowledge and that's it no that person that's an that's idolatry Right? That's like worshipping information, like as though knowing information about God is the same thing as being in a relationship with God. Right? So, so this coming to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God means to bring people who are estranged from God close to Him so that they experience His love, so that they realize His, his, his wonder, so that they receive from Him His blessing, So that they submit their will to him. So they live like the martyrs lived. To live like St. Paul lived. You know, if St. Paul was able to get the Ephesians to live like him, even though they wouldn't know even 1% of the theology that he understood, that would have been an amazing success. Everything that we try to learn in the church is for the purpose of deepening our relationship with Christ. And if we do something apart from that, it's idolatry. Like sometimes some people will say, I want to go to seminary. Well, why do you want to go to seminary? Because it will be useful in teaching Sunday school. No. No. It's not why you go to seminary. That's how people become heretics, is you just want to gain information. And then once you have a lot of knowledge and information, you just try to philosophize about that knowledge and information. And where does it lead? It leads to heresy, to be honest. That's what it leads. Right? Don't, don't want to learn to teach. Wanna, like, learn to live. Learn to live. And then your life will be the lesson that other people learn from. Not not that I'm just trying to get knowledge and information so that I can regurgitate that knowledge and information. Edify yourself. Draw yourself closer to Christ in your relationship with him, and then others will learn from you just as we learn from St. Paul, both in his letters and in his life. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So having come to the knowledge of the Son of God, and again, this knowledge is relationship, not just information. Having come to this knowledge, this relationship with him, then we are no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What is this referring to? Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What is that? What do you think? Yeah. Being deceived by false teachers. Being deceived by false philosophies. Um, Everyone on the internet that claims to understand everything, uh, what is true, and they come presented to you as though they are an expert in it, and they know exactly what they're talking about. Right? Everyone who presents a truth that contradicts the truth of God who comes to us and says no, your God doesn't exist. let me tell you the real truth and it doesn't have to be a religious truth. it could be all kinds of truths that people claim that they know and understand. do not be tossed to and fro. The person who is steadfast in their faith is like a rock. you know like you know like you see those like when there's like a, like large rocks at the shore and the waves come crashing into the rocks and even though the ocean, is very powerful, but the water can't do anything to those rocks. It just crashes into the rock and the water goes everywhere because the rock is firm, right? Imagine like this represents like a Christian who is very firm in their faith. Doesn't matter what hits them, It doesn't matter what comes to them because what establishes them is the truth of Christ and ev- any other claim to truth that comes at them that contradicts that, it has no value to me because I'm not, I'm not swayed by it, I'm not, I don't, I'm not troubled by it. It doesn't cause me to question things because I am so like faithful, I am so confident in what I believe. And again, how can you be confident in information? You know, that's the other thing. It's like when one person, like in science, one person is presenting one set of information and then another person comes and says, well, no, I have information that contradicts your information. And let's have a debate about it. Let's talk and talk and talk. Try to figure out whose information is right in the end. And there is no end of debates about knowledge. But when you talk about a relationship with Christ, when I say, like, I know Joe, and I can't deny that. And someone else comes who's never met Joe and says, Joe doesn't exist. I know he exists, show me the proof. Well, I don't know, I mean, I don't have anything with me now, but I know he exists. I see him, I talk to him, I, I know I, his number is in my phone and I've talked to him, I know that I have. No, you haven't, he doesn't exist. Well, how do you respond to that? I'm not shaken, you can get a thousand people come tell me Joe doesn't exist, okay, whatever. I know he exists, right? You're ignorant because you think he doesn't exist. And this is the problem with trying to explain faith to people. You can communicate information to people, but it's much harder to communicate faith to people. Faith is through your example, right? Information can be written down in books. St. Paul can write all these words for us to read. But what really carries the weight of these words is his life, right? You are, you are influenced by the life of a person who lives according to because you see in the life of St. Paul that he truly believed in Christ. His words communicate more than just some theoretical knowledge that can be easily by somebody else contradicted. Somebody comes else and says, presents some other set of information and says, no, 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 this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And how are you ever going to convince that person that, no, this set of information is right and that set of information is wrong? Well, it is through your life. It is through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in you that proves that what you are saying is actually truth. You know, like a person who is able to forgive their enemies, that person is very powerful, right, in preaching, even without opening their mouth. You see someone who is showing some kind of like absurd kind of love, like absurd kind of forgiveness, like absurd absurd according to the world doesn't make sense how are you doing what you are doing how can you be so gentle how can you be so patient how can you be so disciplined how can you how can you be so giving of yourself so self-sacrificial how can you have this kind of faith that's what attracts people to a religion when they see the life of the people who are living it are you living according to those precepts those lofty precepts that you preach or not And so such a person who truly has a relationship with Christ is not going to be swayed by any claim that Christ doesn't exist, and he doesn't have to bring proof in order for him to believe that. He doesn't have to like, okay, you said such and such, oh, you think this is a contradiction in the Bible, and now I'm nervous, and I have to go research a thousand things in order to prove to myself that no, it's not a contradiction. I'm not saying that there's no value in that, and I'm not saying that that's not a good practice, is to try to prove that, that the, the arguments against the Bible are not true. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying a person who is very mature in their faith doesn't need to do that. Because no one can, you know, no, no one can make them doubt their existence in a person that they see so clearly, that they know so well. How is it that St. Paul could ever doubt the existence of Christ after he appeared to him on the road and he heard his voice? Could anyone come? and would through any theological argument prove to him that somehow God isn't real and Christ is not real, they could never do that, ever. So while we maybe don't see Christ physically or hear an audible voice the way that St. Paul did, and yet through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, our relationship with Christ can be just as real, just as real, and, and something that cannot be doubted, something that cannot be attacked, something that, just like somebody tells me, Joe doesn't exist. I ignore you. Like doesn't. I don't. I'm not even bothered by that. It's just r- silly to me, and I feel sorry for you that you don't know him, that you haven't seen him like I have seen him. Joe's a great guy, you know. So this this is what Saint Paul is is getting at, right? This is not a life of endless information gathering. That every time somebody gets some new information and attacks the church with it, it's like, oh, now we gotta go research that. Again, there's nothing wrong with research and there's nothing wrong with giving arguments and all of that. But, but we should those, those things should not be so that we prove to ourselves that our faith is real. Yes, maybe we need to do those things to show someone else that their arguments are false for the sake of their understanding, for the sake of their faith, for the sake of them believing the truth. But it should not be for us as mature Christians that every time somebody presents something that's like, well, why do you do that? And what is this? And how come that? That all of a sudden we're like in panic mode, you know, like like I have to find an answer to this or else, um, you know, maybe my whole faith is wrong. Like, I think I had mentioned one time many years ago how like there was this guy came up with this Christian rap about like I'm he said, what, like I'm I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious that was like the whole that was the whole thing. He just kept saying I'm spiritual, not religious. But he said it to a rap and all of the high school kids went into panic breakdown mode because they, they said, Well what if it's true? What if it's right? It's a rap. You know, it's like so authentic, you know. I don't know. Like our faith should be deeper than that. Right? They're not like it's just somebody who who like says a rap about nonsense just comes in it's like now we're all like nervous. I don't know. This is the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ right so we are built up and steadfast in the faith we are declaring the truth and we are growing and this idea of growing is important we're not stagnant we're not sh- shrinking we we are we are growing because in any relationship it's dynamic we don't have a relationship with books you know We're, we don't have a relationship with 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 words we have a relationship with the person and when you have a relationship with a person it's dynamic you communicate and your communication is new it is not old right it is it is new it is it is it I- it's, it's 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 fulfilling it's satisfying it 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 meets the the, the moment, the problems of the moment, the situation of the moment to see how God works. Look at this, like look at the story of Moses, for instance. How did Moses see God working throughout his life? Was in so many different ways. And every time Moses could say, I've seen it all, no, there was something new you haven't seen. You know, he talked to him from a bush, he saw the ten plagues, he parted the Red Sea, there was manna coming from heaven, there was water coming from a rock. There was all kinds of stuff. It never stopped with Moses and his relationship with God. And it says about him that he saw God face to face. You know, it says no one saw Moses like God saw Moses. And his relationship with God never stagnated. It was always new. God was with him all the time. So we are growing up into all things and we are speaking truth in love. This was the whole theme of the bold conference this year. How do you tell someone who doesn't know the truth how do you speak the truth to them in a way that also shows that you love them because the reason i'm telling you these things is not because i want to win an argument you know sometimes that's where we devolve into when you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe what you believe it ends up being like i'm proving to you i'm right but again i'll go back again to this example of joe sorry joe if somebody's trying to prove to me that Jod isn't real, I'm not threatened by this person. I'm not trying to win the argument. Like in the end it's like, okay, you don't believe him, that's fine, Like I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference to me, you know, like, like, like it's, I'm not trying to prove myself. Sometimes we want to prove ourselves because we maybe subconsciously or secretly f- feel insecure about what I believe. And so I'm trying to assert the truth of it and I want other people to believe it because I want them to actually validate it for me I want the more people I, I see believe it the more I'm convinced that it's true right whereas if our relationship with Christ is deep right then when we speak truth to people we are not doing it to win arguments we are not doing it to fight we're not doing it because we feel threatened uh, we're not doing it because I myself need a boost of my faith we are doing it simply because we want the salvation of other people we want people to be saved. I want the world to be saved. I want the world to have the, the joy in, in their relationship with Christ that I have. And so that is love. I, I'm willing to go out of my way. That's what St. Paul did. I am in prison because of my desire for the world to have the relationship with Christ, for the world to go to heaven for the world to have this. I am willing to be in prison for it. I'm willing to be shipwrecked for it. I'm willing to die for it. I'm going to heaven either way. You know, I don't have to do all this stuff. I, I could have, you know, I already have the truth. I already have this knowledge. I already have a relationship with Christ. I, if I didn't do this, right, I already have it. But I'm doing it out of love. And again, this was his calling. This is what Christ called him for. And he told him, your salvation is tied up with the salvation of all of these people, right? Go and work for their salvation, right? Go, go and work. So St. Paul was willing to do all things for all people, even though he was mistreated by them. But he was speaking truth in love. And his love was manifested in his sacrifice. What is it that he gave up for them? He gave up his whole life for them. And that's what we see, his authenticity Again, he did not gain anything. He didn't have a high salary. He didn't even live off the donations of the churches. But he worked and sold his own handiwork so that he could have money to live. Right. So he is showing his love in his actions while he is speaking the truth to them. And that brings weight to his words. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love you know a human being like a child when they grow how do they grow is it just the arm that grows and the rest of the body stays the same or the foot that gets really big you know no the, the whole body has to grow together and if the whole body doesn't grow together, then it's like lopsided and not really functional, right? So He's saying the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working, by which every part does its share, right? All of these people that have been given all these gifts by God, if they all are united together and all of them are doing their share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love meaning if you want to see a healthy vibrant successful church it is a church where everybody is united with one focus with one goal and everybody is working everyone's working for that goal and we don't hear about oh yeah well that other person is going to take care of it no i will do my part you do your part we all do our part and so it's not like one group of people is doing all the work or only one group of people are the ones praying only one group of people are the ones serving. No, we are all praying. We are all serving in the various capacities that we are called for service. We are all studying. We are all learning. We are all attending liturgy. We are, we are all doing everything together. Such a church is the one that will grow for the edifying of itself. Right. That is the church that will grow for the edifying of itself. But you have a church where only, like, a small group of people are the ones trying to do everything, you know? It's, you know, sometimes um, you can have a church that, from a service perspective, is very good. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing service. But what about from a spiritual perspective, you know? What does our spiritual lives look like outside of church, right? Are we praying to God? Are we trusting in God? Do we feel the presence of God? Like, yeah, maybe we come to church and we do some tangible things, but again, this is not this is a, this is mystical, right? This is not just let's come and work hard and have a good plan. Yeah, that's good. I mean, we should have that, but if this is to be blessed by God, it needs the Spirit, right? That each of us, when each of us is filled with the Holy Spirit, then the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? When each of us is filled with the Spirit, then the whole body is filled with the Spirit <coughs> and grows together. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk and the futility of their mind. Right? Because he's talking to Gentiles, Ephesians or Gentiles. So he's saying, You Gentiles who accepted Christ, who were baptized in Christ, who who, who are now are the church, you should not continue to live like the rest, meaning your life needs to tra- transform. It needs to be different. You didn't just come and be baptized and say the creed and say, now I believe in one God and all of this, but then my life looks exactly like it did before because that is not the truth. That's not a relationship with Christ. That's just swapping out one set of knowledge and information and facts with a different set right? That's not changing my life. That's not seeking a relationship with God. You know, we were studying on Tuesday at the St. Mark Bible study about um, Revelations 12 through 14. And it was saying the people who did not have the mark of the beast are the ones who had the mark of God the Father on their forehead. And they were the ones who follow the Lamb. And we spoke about how those who follow the Lamb is not the same thing as Just those who are moral people, those who are good people, those who do good things. Now, those who follow the Lamb, again, are those who have a relationship with Christ, right? So he's telling the Ephesians, have a relationship with Christ. And in Christ, you will then take on yourself all of these characteristics of Christ and all these virtues um, of Christ. He's saying you are called to a higher, higher calling. You should not be like your neighbors. You should not look like your neighbors. You should not act like your neighbors. You should not have the same worldview as them. You should not try to integrate with them now not integrating doesn't mean ignoring them or being isolated from them but it means i will not take upon myself the same lifestyle as the people who are around me right yes i can mingle in, intermingle with them i can work with them i can be in the same places as them but i will not my life will not look like their life my life will look different than than their than their life he says what they walk in the futility of their mind like futility means something that is worthless or something that is unable to produce a useful result, unable to achieve what is needed. And certainly, the word futile is, I think, a perfect world a word to describe our world today. Right? The world cannot achieve what it wants. What is it that the world wants? People want to be happy. People want to be fulfilled and satisfied. People want to have strong relationships, like loving relationships with people. Has the world achieved this? Has not achieved. It's actually getting worse all the time. So if the worldly way was the enlightened way that they are trying to push on everyone, that this is the way that we have to live, and they look at the church and the Christians and say, no, you guys are the backwards delusional ones, right? But they are not achieving their goals with their way. Their way is leading them to mental illness. Right? Their, 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 their way is leading them to just like the complete dissolution of any kind of healthy relationships and just sadness and suicide and depression. That's the way that the world is going. So, so that is futility. So he's saying those rest of the Gentiles, they walk in the futility of their mind. They don't understand what they actually need they are lying to themselves. They they, they they are rejecting the authority of God in their lives. They are rejecting because they want to substitute their own philosophy, their own mind, for the mind of God. They want to, to, to say, you know what, God doesn't exist and we don't need him because our way is better than his way. Our way is the enlightened way, right? And yet we find that the world continually proves that their way is futile and destructive. Yes.
1: So like going back, why not? Going back to your example of Joe, um, it's like, (laughs) okay, great. Joe's this great guy and it's great knowing him. Right. But kind of into what you were just saying like in this relationship we have with Christ, it isn't something that looks great all the time and it is not something that feels great all the time. And in fact, we should expect suffering and we should expect persecution, right? Um, But like being here and growing up in it, you kind of know what it's all worth maybe, even if not all the time you believe in it. So how do you like share joy in the middle of all of that because I think that's the trade-off right I get to do what I want how I want to do it in the ways that I think is right right now right or you who like are fasting 90% of the year and like not hanging out in certain places not talking in a certain way not wearing certain things not whatever right and like it doesn't feel great it doesn't sound great and it's sometimes really hard for me to go there and like make it look great too, because I'm also complaining as I eat like the third bowl of lentils, and it's like, what are we doing, right? But how do you, like how, like I get, so then I think it's sometimes easier by default to just share information, because no one can argue that, right? Like yes, this happened, yes, he was this person, yes, right? And I don't have to really do much convincing on that, it's like the sky's blue, right? And so how do you share, The joy of all of that. Because it's not necessarily like that's something we ourselves have to remind ourselves about.
0: Thank you. So, definitely the biggest obstacle to evangelism is us, without any question. Because if we fully lived and believed and enjoyed and connected with christ then you know then then there's no there's no limit to those people who would then see this in us and be attracted to what we have you know seraphim of Sarov, he's an eastern orthodox saint and he says what acquire the peace of god in your life and a thousand souls will be saved meaning if we truly acquire everything that we're talking about for ourselves then that would be so attractive to everyone else. Like, we won't come with the mentality, oh, fasting is just, oh, it's so difficult. Makes it hard to go on vacations. Uh, You know, can we please break the fast today? Oh, so, I don't know, do I have to fast today? Is today a fasting day? You know, Mm -hmm. like, if we portray something like that to people, that this is just a burden. Like, yes, even if we accept that it's necessary, and even if we say, yes, I know this is something important that I discipline myself and, you know, but our body language comes off as this is a burden, like this is hard. Um, we can communicate it in, in, in a way that still shows that we appreciate it, still shows that we see the benefit and the joy in it. There is joy because the greatest thing that brings us joy is our salvation. The biggest thing that brings us joy is our relationship with Christ. If that is my central, you know, the most important central thing in my life, then that will be felt by the people around me, right? Look at what Christ, how Christ preached, you know? There was very little theology in what Christ preached. How did he win people to himself? Because of who he was, right? He was so different from anyone else. He spoke with genuineness and love, and 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 was always available and present for everyone. and And he 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 gave he spoke truth, but again, as Saint Paul, said, he spoke the truth in a in, with with a with a divine love, a love that made people feel like there is something different about this man, and that's what attracted them, to, you know, to to him. So we as the church, we are the first ones that we have to accept and acknowledge and, and grow in Christ so that we can share that with the people around us in a way that attracts them. because what is it that the people around us really care about? They, they want us to they want their problem solved. Whatever problem they have, they, 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 they want it solved like they have needs and they want the need to be solved. Why would I try to do anything in my life unless I'm convinced that that thing is going to make my life better, right? So if we are presenting Christianity in our own life as a way that our lives are good, that doesn't mean that everything is happening the way I wish it would. That doesn't mean that I don't have pain. But my life is good. You know, I was thinking today, actually, about this question that maybe each of us should ask ourselves. Do you feel that the best days of your life are behind you or ahead of you? If you really think about that question. Do you believe that the best days of your life have already passed or are still to come? And I think a lot of people feel like the best days of their life have already passed. You know, like when we get nostalgic and you start thinking about, oh, I remember when I was you know, in high school, when I was in college, when I was in this and this and my life was so much better and I didn't have the stress and I didn't have this and that. What is that saying is, what i'm really seeing ahead of me is kind of bleak maybe i think my future is pretty bleak i'm gonna get old you know i'm gonna lose my hair maybe some of us you know like i'm gonna get you know i'm gonna lose my memory and things are gonna get harder and harder and harder but if i see it that way then again my focus is not on eternity Because if I truly see it that way, that means that all I see is the bleakness of the bad things that I'm expecting to happen to me in my life in this world, right? And, of course, that's going to make us sad. Like, I'm not going to be super excited. I don't really see myself as being on this train that is taking me to heaven, you know? Like, imagine that. Like, if you're on a train that's taking you to heaven, and the closer you get, the more excited you are, you know? Like, you're going to Disney World, you know? Like, like you're excited because you're going there. You're, you're getting closer to it. And this is the place you want to be. So if, if my mentality is that, then that will be reflected in my life. Yes, yes, there's things bothering me and annoying me, whatever, but I'm going to heaven. Like th- that's the place I want to be. And not only do I want to be there, but I can experience Christ even now. And I can draw closer to him even now. If I really had that thought, then my greatest days are ahead of me. Right? And that is a reason to be joyful. Right when you when when you're looking forward to something really amazing, that is going to happen, but if I instead have the opposite view that no, my the best days are behind me, then every day I walk further away from something that I enjoyed and now I don't have anymore, and so I feel like every day is worse than the day before, right? So so if we really, like, had the joy of our salvation, then I think everything that we say will be kind of seasoned with that joy in it and will be much more powerful than just here's some information about the ecumenical councils and here's some information about you know this and that like people will 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 see in us just like they saw in christ something different Mm -hmm. yes
2: So, I also think the best days of your life will become <coughs> after your, your best days of your life. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like the best days of your life might be ahead of you. Some of them might be behind you. And uh one is behind you some of them might be like oh i got a new iphone best day of my life but like the best days of your life would i would think that the best days of your life would like be something that you would you've always wanted to achieve like you wanted to go to mount everest and climb it or you wanna just be successful in life and, why are you laughing? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Mm. Did you have another? no? <coughs> Sorry, we're running a little... Are you raising your hand? Okay. says, <coughs> so Having their understanding darkened, m- being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So he's just expanding on this futility that he's talking about in the world. Their understanding is darkened. They are not illuminated to to see life as it truly is, the reality as it truly is. They are thinking just about this world and and in conclusion that all they see is this world, even though there might be like a few bright spots of of happy moments, but when you look at the whole thing from beginning to end, there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of things that happen that I don't want to happen. So again, if if our 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 our, our focus is on eternity then we can endure a lot of things in this life while still being joyful while still being content while still looking forward to all that god is offering to us because we know that this world is temporary we know that this world is not the final place for us and they because their understanding is darkened and they are alienated from the life of god they are ignorant and they are blind and they cannot see that who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. They are like operating in this mindless and drugged state, kind of like being self medicated. The people who are sad and depressed, they they try to cope with it in ways that bring more sadness and depression, or some destructive habits. They try to cope with being past feeling. They have numbed their minds. They have numbed their consciences. They are just trying to cope with a life that is full of darkness and sadness. And they are, they they try to commit sin and lewdness in order to kind of bring themselves like a sense of feeling, right? Like like to 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 to, to awaken, whereas they cannot awaken, and they are still going deeper and deeper. Um, into this stupor they they don't understand they cannot see this is why they need someone to rescue them from this world say hey this world is not it this is not the, the place that you will enjoy to the fullest but you have not so learned christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying, if you being being graced with the gift of the Holy Spirit which granted you self-control instead of going like following their lewd way of life, their sinful way of life, you put off this life put off your former conduct put off the old man the corrupted man the deceitful man the one who was indulging in these lusts and you embrace the renewal embrace the renewal that you have received through baptism your life will take a completely different direction right you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind you will you you will you will experience the fullness that god is preparing for all of us and like i said we don't have to wait until heaven to enjoy heaven the lord jesus christ said The kingdom of heaven is within you. It is within you because you can experience the life with Christ even now, even in the place that we are. It's not like we just have to sit here enduring this life until one day we can be happy. No, we can enjoy the presence of God here. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So as a result of this new life, the way that we treat each other changes. Because I am filled with the grace of God, I do not speak, let's say, in a selfish way or an angry way. I do speak truth, but I do so with love and with kindness. Be angry and do not sin. You know, some people say that anger is a sin. Anger is not a sin. The way we express anger is the sin, right? I can be angry and, and but still deal in an edifying way. I can be angry, and and that anger causes me to deal with people in a certain way to better my relationship with them, to correct wrong actions and wrong behaviors, but without me losing control, like we were saying at the beginning. To be out of control, right, I have to be in control. Um, Each person... He's saying here, let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands. So he's saying each person should make a living for themselves, not trying to take what is another another person. This is all a part of living in a community, living in harmony, living in the body of Christ, edifying one another, right? Not, not hurt, harming others, but encouraging and building other people up. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Right? Grieving the Holy Spirit is denying the work of the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit, it means the Holy Spirit is trying to get my attention. The Holy Spirit is trying to tell me to do something or to stop doing something, and I drown him out. I escape, I, 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 I go do something to distract myself so that I don't hear the voice of God because I don't want to hear it, right? This is to grieve the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is constantly communicating with me, telling me, showing me, convicting me, guiding me. But then when I receive that guidance, when I receive that conviction, what do I do with it? right? That's why he's saying, let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, evil speaking, all these things. When I begin to do these things, I hear the voice of God saying, don't do these things, you know, like maybe feeling some guilt. You know, there's like a good guilt and a bad guilt. The good guilt is what keeps me from sinning. The bad guilt is the one that even after I've confessed my sin, I still don't feel forgiven, right? But there is a good guilt The guilt that I feel when I fall into sin, that actually is what leads me to repentance, what leads me to change, putting all these things away from me. I have to feel some negative emotion when I sin so that I can leave sin behind, right? And so that is a good thing, leading me to repentance, not carrying a guilt with me that's a burden for the rest of my life about something that I've done that I've already repented from, but something that guides me. This is actually some part of the work of the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, don't do this. This is wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You know. And so St. Paul is concluding this chapter with, uh, with a, an image of what this true Christian life um, would look like and this life is a result of the transformation that is happening in us through the work of the Spirit, which he's saying to the Ephesians, you are no longer like the rest of the Ephesians. You are now held to a higher standard because the work of the Holy Spirit is working in you and you should expect more from yourself you know don't just look at the rest of the world and say well I'm like them no you have to be different than them you can't be like them how is it that you are like them after receiving the grace of God in, in, in the holy baptism otherwise we are saying baptism is irrelevant what's the point you know if, if there is no change that has happened in you as a result of the, the, the indwelling of the holy spirit to live differently so what exactly did we achieve right he's saying no work with God God is helping you, respond. Respond to the Holy Spirit. When that feeling of conviction of sin comes, respond. Don't grieve it. Don't quell it. Don't, don't keep it silent, but respond to it. And the more we respond to it, the more our relationship with God grows, the more virtues begin to appear in our life, and the more we begin to understand, and our eyes are opened, and we are no longer ha- experiencing this darkened mind that St. Paul is, um, is speaking about. Glory be to God forever. Amen. you have any final questions or comments it is i uh, the Ephesians is a really beautiful book has a lot of really wonderful things, yeah, okay let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, for you to always to be with us, to remind us, O Lord, that our best days are ahead of us, and that you are preparing all things, O Lord, to give us glory and honor, even that we do not deserve. We thank you, O Lord, for your love. We thank you for the sacrifices that you have made on our behalf, and we ask, O Lord, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit to allow us to make sacrifices for you and for one another. Change us and transform us and lead us, O Lord, to your heavenly kingdom and remind us of your presence at all times and help us to study your word, O Lord, and to find in it all of the keys of life, all the things, O Lord, that we need to set aside, O Lord, any kind of sadness or depression or confusion or distraction that we might find in this world to realize, O Lord, that this world that we live in is not the world you created us for and that you have created us for a wonderful place, a place that you are leading us back to. Fill us, O Lord, with yourselves and help us to know you day by day. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, communion the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit.